The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place, but you already know that. This is episode number 10 of season four, in case you're keeping track of our series called The Future of Business with Game Changers Radio. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. Oh my goodness. We have a quote here, the buzz from Hod Lipson, who was born in 1967 in Haifa, Israel, an American robotics engineer. Let me read this quote we found, and I think it will shake you up a little bit because that's what the quote says. 3D printing is already shaking our age-old notions of what can and can't be made. Shout out to Mr. Lipson. Appreciate that. So what are we talking about today? It may not be far in the future when a significant amount of the products that we expect to be manufactured in the four walls of a factory, a big factory, a little factory, a factory anywhere around the world, are actually manufactured in a store, what, in a repair shop, huh, or even at home? OMG. How is this all possible? Well, we're going to call this distributed manufacturing, leveraging 3D printing. And as Hod Lipson said, it is pushing the bounds of the possible. Technology has already moved beyond. Well, you might know somebody at Harvard tried to print lipstick on a 3D printer a couple years ago. I don't know. I never bought any, but the colors look good. People have printed sugar cubes. People have printed pasta. Well, today they're printing cars on 3D printers, and maybe even more dramatically, they're printing prosthetic limb replacements for patients who've lost a limb. Oh, my goodness. So what is the timeline of scaling? Let's say from the toys. Okay, prosthetics are not toys, but sugar cubes and pasta are. The timeline of scaling from producing toys to a real productive business approach to what we're calling distributed manufacturing. And how does the Internet of Things and security, we're always talking about security when we talk about IoT and sensors, how does that figure into the mix? So I understand my third panelist has just dialed in or will dialing back. So let me start slowly here and tell you who our three panelists are, and then we'll introduce them with their opening quotes. First up, in just a moment, I'll be very pleased to welcome Alan Amling, who leads the Global On-Demand Manufacturing Initiative at UPS. Everybody knows what UPS is. Joining him on the panel is Rick Smith co-founder of a company called Fast Radius. He'll tell us about that in a few minutes. He's a business author, and I have to tell you if the name sounds familiar, well, Rick Smith is a singer-songwriter whose band has opened for Leonard Skinner and Zach Brown. Woohoo! We'll be talking to Rick. I didn't ask him if he'd sing on the show, but anything is possible. We did say we're pushing the bounds of the possible today. And joining us in a few minutes, I understand, almost ready to join us, is Gil Perez. 
Senior VP of Digital Assets and Internet of Things at SAP. So let me get started with our first panelist, Alan Amling at UPS, has sent us a quote from Coach John Wooden. You all may remember Wooden is an American basketball player and coach named the Wizard of Westwood, head coach at UCLA. He won 10 NCAA national championships in 12 years, including an unprecedented seven in a row. You could say he's a champ. Here is the quote Alan has selected from John Wooden. Failure is not fatal, but failure to change might be. Alan Amling, how are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I love the quote. We haven't had a John Wooden quote on the show for, I don't know, a year or two. So glad to see him back. So failure is not fatal, but failure to change might be. I think we're talking about pushing the bounds of the possible, but embracing the possible. Alan, talk to me. How'd you pick the quote for today's topic? Well, you know, I was thinking about the the topic of, of 3D printing. And, you know, in the context of, of UPS, people know UPS, the brown package cars that you're going to you love us right now for e-commerce. You're going to see us a little more around uh, Christmas time, and um, you know we're used to delivering things with with physical assets, right? With physical trucks, with planes, trains, automobiles, and what we're seeing with 3D printing is it's it's beginning. To, it's the beginning of changing how goods are delivered um, mm-hmm. today. It all has to. It's physical goods have to move in in physical vehicles. In the future, with three D printing, you may see a time when goods travel digitally and are actually formed closer to the point of use. Whether that's in your house or in a in a nearby area, that changes the way goods are are, are transported, and that's our core business. And so. While we don't think this is going to happen tomorrow, mm-hmm. we do think that it's a change, and it's a change that all companies need to be aware of because if you think it's just hype, it's moving well beyond hype right now, and we'll give you some examples of that uh, later. But um, that, this, is, this is the reason that I, I put this quote out there because, you know, a company like UPS, we can't assume that uh, goods are going to move the same way they've they've moved for our last 109 years um and and we need to be able to change we need to stay flexible or it may be fatal so thank, thank you alan that that's very interesting uh because it sounds like I, i'm going to use a very harsh term a death knell for some companies just quickly because i want to bring rick smith and gil perez on next quickly but alan do you think this is uh the the clock is ticking, shall we say. In other words, the day that this becomes the method of choice for big companies. Will little companies have to then embrace this new method of manufacturing, the new method of delivery, or will it be, yeah, you've got a decade or so. Whenever you're ready, kids, we'll be ready for you. Or will the little companies, the startups, the leaner, meaner, more agile companies, will they be leading the charge? Just a quick point of view from you. What do you see? Yeah, actually... Actually, what I see is it's it's both large and small companies uh, that are that are taking the lead in this in in this area. And what I would say in terms of timing, and that's the that's a big thing about innovations, is mm-hmm. you may know what's going to come, but you don't know exactly when. And what I will tell you is, and one of the things that we look for because. You know, both SAP and UPS, we've been looking at 3D printing for a lot of years. So why now? Why, why are we moving now? And it's because 
we're seeing the rap, we're seeing it start to go from ad hoc to automatic, from from you know uh, prototypes and tchotchkes to companies seeing this becoming a core part of their manufacturing, and the technology is really exploding. It's it's so exciting to see what's happening, not only in the technology, but in the material science, the materials that go in to 3D printing. And so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you can sit back and wait uh, mm-hmm. until you're sure that this is going to take off. But I will tell you, if you wait till you know for sure, it's going to be too late. There you go. Hence the quote. Thank you very much, Alan. Pleasure to have you on. I know you're busy, and thanks for taking the time. And now let me welcome our second panelist. It's Rick Smith, co-founder of Fast Radius. And Rick has sent us a quote from somebody else in the sports world. Woohoo! Yogi Berra, who was one of our most frequently quoted celebrities oh, earlier this year. So I'm glad to see a quote coming back. By the way, if you have been hiding under a rock for a long time, Yogi Berra is the Hall of Fame baseball player for the New York Yankees and a six successful manager for both the Yankees and the New York Mets. His real name, in case anybody... Oh, he he left us in 2015, by the way. Lawrence Peter, nicknamed Yogi. Berra. And let's see, he was a, uh, a baseball catcher, a manager, a coach who played 19 seasons in MLB, that's Major League Baseball, from 1946 to 65, all but the last for the New York Yankees. He was an 18-time All-Star and 10-time World Series champ with a batting average, in case anybody is interested, a .285, had 358 home runs and 1,430 runs batted in, and one of the five players only to win the American League Most Valuable Player Award three times. Here is the quote, and it's another humdinger. I think we call these malapropisms here from Rick Smith is quoting Yogi Berra. The future ain't what it used to be. Sorry for the, the quasi-New York accent. Rick Smith, join us. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me, Rick, and, and let's do the quote, and then we'll find out a little bit about Fast Radius. But how did you pick the quote for our topic today? Distributed manufacturing, pushing the bounds of the possible, 3D printing. Talk. Yeah, so I, I find the quote interesting. I, I think in general, um, you know, we as humans and specifically as business people are pretty bad at predicting uh, the future and specifically at seeing the future as being very much different than, than, than the way we observe things today. Um, and I think that's in, in you know, particular case of that is, is in the world that we live in, for mass production, um, I think most people believe that you know, there are sort of two forms of production. One was before the Industrial Revolution, and and one is after. This is sort of a binary switch, and uh, uh, you know we we live in in the future, um, and that's the way that it's gonna that it's gonna be. And and the reality is in. Um, in, in, when tech, in major technology introductions, they tend to follow two phases, uh, not one. The, the first phase is a mass production um, phase. When the, 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 you're able to produce in mass, you can re- reduce the cost of the utility of that technology and get it out to the masses of people in, in, in an acceptable way. So the printing press, for example, reduced the cost and the time uh, to produce printed work by over 90% and led to a, you know, to a proliferation in the publishing industries, which lasted for 500 years. Um, the rail system is another example where uh, when the rail system uh, exploded, cost of 
of transportation dropped by 90%, sort of a mass production way of moving transportation. And the same thing happened with the Industrial Revolution and the introduction of, of products at low cost um, to people all around the world. But the second phase is, that's inevitable is mass customization, where you, you know, customers like lower prices in a mass-produced world, but what they ultimately want is, is, is choice. I want exactly what I want in the quantities that I want when I need mm-hmm. it. Um, etc. And so if you look at what, you know, ma- uh, mass production in, in information was the printing press, uh, the internet is mass customization. You see the disruption that that's caused. Um, the rail system was mass production of transportation. The automobile is basically mass customization of transportation. And, and w- as we evolve from a mass production-based world now, 3D printing enables, and distributed manufacturing, enables mass customization of production. And this is what is really taking hold um, across industries. When you can produce what you want, when you want it, where you want it in the exact quantities that you need, it completely changes the manufacturing's uh, value chain. Very, very interesting. Yeah, it, 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 another thought comes to my mind, Rick, while you're speaking is if if the press, the popular press, doesn't publicize this and talk about this, um, it, w- it may be a surprise to consumers where their goods are coming from. They're thinking it's coming from a manufacturing plant when it could be coming from a place just down the block somewhere in somebody, I wouldn't say a basement, but certainly a workshop. Very interesting uh, when the word will get out about how this is being done. And are we talking, we're talking about mass customization. Are we talking about one, one-on-one going back to the make-for-me economy? I, wasn't it Henry Ford, Rick, a uh, hundred years ago or so, who said you can have any color Model T Ford as long as it's black? Do you remember that one? Or did you hear about that one? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And if, in fact, interesting story. The, re- the reason that he, the reason that he chose black was not for any aesthetic reasons. It's because black was the only color that would dry fast enough to keep up with his assembly line. So you had this, you know, these massive efficiencies and and speed that was created through standardization. Um, and and yet, what customers ultimately want is exact. You know, they want that that choice. Um, so when, when I talk about customization, I think when we look at it in this area, certainly there are applications where customization refers to making it specifically for me, either, you know, making a, a 3D printed shoe that fits my heel perfectly. Um, but there are a lot more applications mm-hmm. where customization means producing the quantities that I, that, that I, that I need. Um, in a mass production world, you build a factory or you buy a, a mold uh, at a great expense, and you're sort of stuck with whatever that design is for maybe a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, when, when in reality, you, you don't want to produce all of those things at once. Uh, you may need them in different locations around the world at different times, and you may want to change your design and have it evolve over a period of time. So customization of production um, enables you to have so much more flexibility in, in, and, and eliminate so much waste in the entire system. Ah, I like that uh, point about eliminating waste in the system. That That's a big concept. Thank you so much. Pleasure to have you on. Rick, before we go to Gil, I just want you to tell me quickly the elevator pitch. What does Fast Radius do, please? So Fast Radius is uh, an industrial uh, 3D printing organization. We have a, uh, a platform where we produce parts uh, using various technologies for, um, for ma- manufacturers in a customized way around the world. 
Thank you very much, and pleasure to have you on. Maybe you'll sing for us later. No pressure. We'll talk about that. And now let me bring on our third panelist who has just joined us. It's Gil Perez, Senior Vice President, Digital Assets and Internet of Things at SAP. And Gil is bringing us a quote, not from the sports world, but from the world of power. I'm talking about power, electricity, Thomas Edison. By the way, Thomas Alva Edison lived from 1847 to 1931. I think he'd be shaking if he knew what had happened to all the, the powerful things he helped to start. He was an American inventor and businessman, developed many devices that influenced lives around the world, including, here goes, the phonograph. We used to call it the record player, the motion picture camera, and the long-lasting practical electric light bulb. Thomas Edison was called the Wizard of Menlo Park. And here's an interesting thing. He was one of the first inventors to apply the principles of mass production and large-scale teamwork to the process of invention and is often credited with the creation of the first industrial research laboratory. He held over a 1,000 U.S. patents in his name and as many patents in the U.K., France, and Germany. Woohoo! Here is the quote that Gil has selected from Thomas Edison, and this is a good one. I failed my way to success. Gil Perez, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm actually in Germany, in beautiful Germany today. So uh, uh, a warm hello from Germany. Thank you very much, Gil. So glad you could join us. We love the quote from Thomas Edison for so many reasons I just enumerated. So tell me, how did you pick that quote? We're talking distributed manufacturing. We're talking 3D printing. I don't know what Edison would say, but he'd probably say, wow, wish I'd have thought of that. So talk to me, Gil. How did you pick the quote, please? Yes, I think that, um, you know, uh, 3D printing and distributed manufacturing kind of came into the uh, limelight in the in the last couple of years with with the vision of consumer uh, 3D printing, with the notion of um, I'm going to be able to to have a small machine uh, or print it and be able to print things when when something breaks, and uh, that created a lot of expectations and 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 really I I, I think really created also uh, a strong pull for, and a demand from the market. Yet, obviously, uh, as we all know, um, there was a bit of a, a hype. And, um, you know, what, what is really happening is now we're kind of going through a second cycle where, where the consumer is, uh, the consumer 3D printing is really, you know, starting to, to take a back seat. And the industrial 3D printing of actually, you know, large companies as, as uh, both Rick and and Alan describes are are now really uh, embracing 3D printing in a way that they haven't in the past. And although 3D printing has been around for more than than uh, 25 years and mm-hmm. has evolved tremendously, um, the real acceleration and growth and adoption uh, has come in the last three to five years. And and it's in in part because of again multiple attempts by multiple peoples and failures, and we're you know, although we fail, uh, every failure really helps, you know, all of us. I agree. And I, I just uh, I just was looking for who invented 3D printing, and there's an article I found on CNN.com from February 14th, Valentine's Day 2014, so about two and a half years ago, and it was called The Night 
I invented 3D printing. Meet the genius behind 3D printing. Call him Charlie, Charles, Chuck, whatever you want. It's okay. He's a 74-year-old pioneering innovator responsible for the breakthrough that's driving the world of manufacturing. Uh, he sat down with CNN in Frankfurt, Germany. He's EVP and chief tech officer of 3D Systems, a company built on his invention, the 3D printer, which he apparently started started uh, working on in 1983. Is, do we all agree that, uh, in fact, this this person named Chuck Hall is the one? Everybody? Chuck Hall, H-U-L-L. Gil, have you heard of him? Yes, yes, certainly I've heard. Um, there is um, there's a bit... A bit of, I would say, he is one of the first to commercialize 3D printing, but 3D printing started a few years before, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, at MIT. Um, uh-huh. And it's, it's around the same time. It's, it's the early 80s. So, again, 81, 82. Um, uh, but uh, Chuck is definitely one of the godfathers and, and the pioneers of this industry, and without him, we wouldn't be here. Thank you. Alan Amling, any comments on that as well? And, and by the way, Gil, thank you so much for joining us uh, from Germany, and we'll find out what you're drinking in a few minutes when we do the What's in Your Cup segment. So, uh, Alan, are you familiar with Chuck Hall? Yes. Yeah, I am. And, you know, I, I, find, it, um, I find it interesting, when, you know, when you think about uh, innovations, they, they tend to, to brew for quite a while. Right before mm-hmm. they before they really take off, you know, you look at the uh, the digital camera was invented in in 1975, but you know, film continued film cameras continued to grow until about 1990, and then they, you know, I think around 92 they dropped off a cliff, and um, you know, and and that's where we're you know we're we're seeing these developing technologies like like 3D printing, it's been around for a long time. Um, but eventually, once you work out all the kinks, uh, if you have a better mousetrap, that's what people are going to use. And, um, and, and that's what I find really fascinating because, you know, it's still playing out right now, right? We're right in the, right in the middle of, of it. We don't know when that moment is going to be when we see this, this major switch over to... Uh, 3D printing, but we just know it's coming. Mm-hmm. We certainly do. And Rick Smith, any comments on Mr. Hull before I, I go back around the table and find out what you're all drinking? Rick? Uh, no, I, I think uh, you know, Chuck was certainly a pioneer. I think he, he actually did get the first patent um, uh, in this in the, uh, the the space. There's a, you know, it, And there's several different types of technologies that exist. Uh, uh, Scott Crump is another um, one of the pioneers, got a patent in the 80s for uh, a different type of, uh, a different approach to 3D printing. Um, but I would echo what, what, what Alan said, is that you know, the industry's been around for you know, about 30 years, um, predominantly uh, in the prototyping space. The first 3D printer, commercial 3D printer, was called a rapid prototyping machine. Um, mm-hmm. So the ability to create a physical object that represents what you have in your mind, what the designer has in their mind. Um, the, the applications where this makes huge business sense 
uh, broadly, so the elimination of inventory or taking risk and cost out of the production system. You know, those are not new ideas. In fact, you know, the CFOs of all, a lot of large companies um, have been ha- have already built the business case. They're just sort of waiting for the technology to catch up so they can put put these applications into much larger scale production. And I think, you know, as Alan kind of alluded to, I feel like we're really on the inflection point of um, of that taking hold in a broad way well beyond prototyping, you know, from a $5 billion industry segment to a $100 billion industry segment. Um, because the technologies that are now coming out that, com- that, that companies we work with are experimenting with um, are very viable or very comparable both in materials and, and economics to mm-hmm. injection molding. And the injection molding industry is about $300 billion globally. Um, I, I think this is where you start to see this massive of disruption uh, take hold. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Just for all of you, I, I produce and host a couple of cable TV shows here on Long Island. And about two years ago, a friend of mine who was a former science teacher and is now dabbling in other areas, education around the world and, and innovations, he brought to me two young men who had a small level commercialized 3D printing machine. They brought it to the TV studio. They set it up. It was on this huge, like a mini scaffolding, but it was big for us. It made a lot of noise. And what did they produce for me? A little pencil cup holder in black plastic and it's really pretty and I have it here on my desk so that was that was my first introduction to what is this you can make something in plastic here on this big clunky thing in my tv studio the answer was yes so that was my introduction to it a few years ago glad to see it is certainly moving ahead I'm going to circle back to Alan Amling you've all been working very hard and we're going to before we take a little break here I want to know what my guests are drinking today this is called what's in your cup so Alan Amling first of all where are you calling from at we are live so we want to know where you're, you are right now. And either what are you drinking right now that powers the brain of Alan Amling and or what are you planning to drink later to celebrate? Alan? So I'm, uh, I'm calling from beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. And today I am drinking Diet Mountain Dew. Uh, one, I don't need the calories, so it's got to be diet. And two, I need the caffeine. Lots of stuff going on. So I've got to be sharp. There you go. Is there a, a, pardon my ignorance, is there a flavor to it? Diet Mountain Dew is just still that green stuff. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I don't know. I think, I think the flavor is called Dew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. You got me on that. I'm half glad and half sorry I asked. Thank you, Mr. Amley. I appreciate that. Sure. Rick's. Rick Smith, I'm going to ask you where you're calling from, what you're drinking, or what you're drinking later, and if you want to hum a few bars of anything. Rick? <laughs> you're not going to get me to sing. It's too early. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll, drinking, we'll, we'll recite. Uh, we'll catch you later then. Go ahead. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a decaf uh, black uh, Nespresso uh, coffee from my, uh, from, from my house, and, and uh, I've, uh, I, I, I tend to have a lot of energy, and I, my wife has banned me from from caffeine, so. Oh, you're a person after my top. own heart. I'll, t- I'll tell you my story in two seconds. Yeah, I think you just stole my thunder there, Rick. And Rick, uh, where are you? You say you're, I have an espresso. Mine is red. What color is yours? Uh, it's black. Oh, okay, good. Probably sounds very classy. Well, my kitchen is red quartz, so I had to have a red coffee maker. And you are where? What city? Uh, so I'm also in, uh, in, in Atlanta. 
Okay, well, shout out to Atlanta for bringing us two great thought leaders. And Mr. Gil Perez is in Germany. Gil, remind me again, where in Germany, what time is it, and what are you drinking to keep you energized, Gil? Sure. So, first of all, it's uh, about 4.30 p.m., and I am in uh, a town called Waldorf, where is the headquarters of SAP, which is about 100 kilometers from Frankfurt. So it's in the southern part of of Germany, and as you can imagine, I'm jet-lagged, so I'm mm-hmm. just uh, a straight IV, double espresso, <laughs> and they have great, great machines here, so um, definitely I need the day caffeine. I like I that, that, straight extra. up. Straight IV, that was certainly a, pic- a picture we all got right there. Uh, Rick Smith, I'm mad at you because you stole my thunder. I always say on these shows they don't allow me to have caffeinated beverages on radio show days. And Thursdays are usually a doubleheader day, but we're at the end of our season almost, so I'm just doing one show today. So all I have here is a cool, clear mug with a cool, clear dose of water from a Brita filter. Not too interesting. And I had an orange straw last week, but today I have a yellow straw for sunshine. It is beautiful here. I'm on Long Island in New York on the North Shore. The trees are turning magnificently, oranges and golds and reds. There's a full spread of a maple tree across the street from my office, and it's just gorgeous. Almost matches my red hair and my red my red Nespresso machine, but we'll leave that alone. And so, I want to tell everybody we're having a very lively conversation here, talking about the future of distributed manufacturing, but if that term doesn't get to you, doesn't evoke any images or any possibilities, think about 3D print. Think about what your car needs, what your body needs, what your house needs, what your company needs. Think about it on a 3D printer somewhere, somehow, coming to a life near you. We're talking today to Alan Amling at UPS. We're talking to Rick Smith at Fast Radius. And we're talking to Gil Perez in Waldorf, Germany at SAP. Shout out to David S. Fowler. And let's see, what is Dave drinking today? I have it here somewhere. Um, Dave, 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 Dave. He sent it to me. I think I tweeted it a few minutes ago. It's something to do with Starbucks and it's delicious and we will find it in a few minutes and I'll tell everybody. Oh, here it is. Dave is drinking a Keurig brewed Starbucks holiday blend with powdered cream. I like the blend. Not sure about the powdered cream, Dave. We'll have to talk about that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, a lot more exciting conversation. I think it's exciting and I hope you agree. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is the Future of Business with Game Changers Radio and don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. Here we are. We're talking about distributed manufacturing, 3D printing with Alan Amling, Rick Smith, and Gil Perez. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out again to David S. Fowler, sponsor of this terrific series. And now it's time for our roundtable. Alan Amling told me the following in his notes. So here's the first topic we're going to talk about. The subject is collapsing the supply chain. Alan says 3D printing enables a distributed supply chain. Supply chain, allowing customers to more closely match supply with demand, producing smaller quantities closer to the point of consumption, meaning one order of a 1,000 pieces becomes 100 orders of 10 pieces, each produced in the region, the country, the city where it will be used. Fascinating. Alan, please tell us more. Yeah, so that's, you know, setting the context around, so what is distributed manufacturing and 3D printing? And and how are they connected? And, and you know, what you, what you just read kind of pulls it together. And, and let me contrast it with the way things happen today. Today, traditionally, uh, goods are manufactured. The same good, uh, you know, runs of 100,000, 200,000, a million or more. Um, and they're, they're done in... Central centralized locations, and um, and then and then typically shipped around the world where where they're needed, and and that's because in traditional manufacturing, you know economies of scale and labor cost are very very important, and so it it creates this need for centralized manufacturing. 3D printing, not so. 3D printing doesn't have the same. Uh, labor constraints, and the the idea is that you don't make you know millions of the same thing. You you make things that are ex- as um, Rick was saying exactly what the consumer wants. And so what we're seeing is a different supply chain happening where it's distributed, meaning that these goods are are produced in smaller quantities closer to the point of use. So what you're going to see is an evolution from these big centralized manufacturing locations to smaller locations around the world where, um, where goods are produced. Why is that important? Because it's more efficient. You're taking time, cost, and carbon out of the supply chain and making it more responsive to the individual needs of consumers. That's the promise of 3D printing and why it's so exciting. And, and when we talk about it, we talk about it in the context of this new distributed supply chain. Thank you. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Rick Smith, love to get your POV on this. Talk to me, please. Yeah, so I look at it, um, you know, more on a micro basis. If you think about 
the life of an individual part. Um, you know, currently in a mass production uh, world, you, you know, you, you have a designer that has some limited constraint, you know, some, some constraints uh, in terms of how they can produce, uh, you know, a particular part. Uh, they have to, you know, maybe they make a couple different prototypes, but they make a huge bet that this is the design that, I, that I, I'm ultimately going to need, and then mm-hmm. they make a huge investment. Um, to set up a factory or set up, you know, tooling around that. Sixty uh, percent of the time, they get that wrong and have to go back and pay a very high price to change that tooling. Then they start mass production, and you make huge amounts of these parts without really knowing how many you're ultimately going to need. Uh, there's a last time buy when you're about to shut the line, the factory line down, and you're, it's in many cases just a wild guess as to how many ultimate parts you're going you're gonna to end up needing. And then at the end, you have two outcomes. One is um, you, you, you underguessed and you run out of parts, potentially shutting down an entire product. Or you, in most cases, you overguessed and you have huge waste and obsolescence of parts that never get used. With 3D printing or distributed manufacturing, that entire system collapses, right? So in, in, at the beginning, you start with the design. There's actually a lot more complexity uh, that's available using using 3D printing for design, uh, you can, you can um, actually start doing A-B or split testing with physical products. So put your product or part out in the market and see how it performs before you make a large investment. Uh, then you, you know, likely would go to some level of mass production. Uh, but at the end, when you're looking at that last time buy, we're seeing companies like Ford cut their last time buy in a factory line down in, in by more than half. Because if you run out in, in a scenario with on-demand production, you can just produce more at some, point, at some point in the end. So you see that entire that bubble of mass production and inventory warehousing just completely collapse in this new market of, of on-demand production. Thank you. Very, very dramatic. Uh, let's get Gil Perez in on this. Gil, what are your thoughts on the topic that Alan introduced and, and Rick added to? Go ahead. Sure. Um, I, I think my... my POV on this is that uh, another interesting dimension to look at it is is from the uh, economical quantifiable driver. So uh, from my perspective, uh, there are two interesting uh, dimensions to it. One, which is existing parts. So existing parts aftermarket uh, in which I've already um, have a product in the market and it's really about all of the virtues that were discussed of how do I now reduce my inventory, uh, collapse the, the supply chain, et cetera. Uh, and that is, I think, more of an efficiency uh, and optimization play where, where every uh, company that has significant inventory will probably benefit from. The second scenario is in which we call it 3D printed native parts, that the designer up front truly understands the capability of these um, uh, technologies, manufacturing, and actually creates designs and, and, and then manufactures parts that previously wouldn't have been even possible. And, you know, a classic example of it is, is parts that from a structural integrity are just as strong but at a lighter, uh, um, much lighter, 
and for airspace and defense, that's uh, that's uh, very important because then the the plane could could fly longer, uh, or a car could could be more efficient. Um, so it's not only about the functionality; it's also about the features. So uh, both of them are are kind of the use cases that are are very you know um, at the end of the day are are quite interesting for three D printing and are driving. You know, on one side, existing products as well as new products. But needless to say, it is important to say that we're not going to see overnight a transition of all products to 3D printing. Uh, there's going to be still a massive amount of products that are going to be the right way to do them is to be massively produced. Yet, in spite of that, even if we just take a small sample or a small portion of the overall manufacturing of just a couple of percentage points of the total manufacturing, this will have a huge impact. So for 3D to be uh, uh, really and truly impactful on a global scale, we don't need to wait for all the products to be 3D printed. Even if a small number is 3D printed, it will have a profound impact on all of us. Interesting. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Darwin in this, the survival of the fittest printed, 3D printed parts. Uh, how is how is that going to be decided, Gil? Just briefly, I do want to circle back to Alan and ask him to comment on what you and Rick added to his topic. Who, who will decide? Is it just whoever has the money and the ingenuity to say we're going to print this and that's that's enough for this industry? Or how does it get decided which ones if it's a small number? So I, I think that the, this is one of the things that um, obviously – uh, that's where big data and analytics comes uh, comes in, uh, because in order to decide that, you you do do need to make at the end of the day uh, uh, to quantify it, and and it needs to be at, at the end of the day uh, a profitable and financial decision. So there mm-hmm. are obviously constraints, um, uh, and a simple one to understand is not all materials are uh, available in 3D printing. So mm-hmm. you know um, it would. You know, we, we do have certain alloys. We do have a lot of different polymers, but not all alloys and not all polymers. So, obviously, by applying that, um, you kind of start um, um, filtering some of the products that don't, don't, don't make sense. Obviously, you, it would be a product that you don't have, for example, a production that it's an, if we're thinking about the aftermarket, that if I do have a production line right now um, and I've already invested all the money and that production line is, is up and running, you know, the, the, the business case for 3D printing would be significantly lower than a product that I don't have a production line. And if now I need it, then I need to invest in, an, you know, reassembling the production line. So there are uh, multiple elements that you could basically apply and filter and get down, and each company will need to obviously apply those in order to uh, uh, get to the subset of the products that from an economical as well as a functional and technical perspective would be the short list for them to, the candidates for them to 3D print. Thank you, Gil. Very interesting. Alan, I'm going to circle back to you for a brief wrap-up of this part of our discussion. Boy, the clock is really ticking here. I want to move on. So, Alan, any thoughts on what Rick and Gil added to yeah, your topic? Yeah, I, I just wanted to reiter- reiterate one point that, that Gil made was that, you know, this isn't going to be everything. This is going to be, you know, specific 
products, and and it doesn't have to be a big percentage of traditional manufacturing to be disruptive. And and the way I like to put it is is use an analogy of e-commerce. So everyone would agree that e-commerce has been disruptive to a lot of companies and has helped mm-hmm. a lot of companies, you know, like UPS. But put it in perspective, e-commerce is only about 8% of total retail. Um, so... You don't have to. You don't have to be twenty, thirty, fifty percent to be disruptive. Everyone would agree that you know eight percent of total retail e-commerce is definitely disruptive. If you can imagine at some point that five percent of traditional manufacturing uh, goes to three D printing, that's a six hundred and forty billion dollar industry. That is disruptive at only 5%. And so when we're talking about this, we're talking about this disruption. We're not talking about the total takeover of traditional manufacturing. We're talking about a new way that fits certain situations that's a better mousetrap. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And I want to move on quickly here and get a couple more topics in because we're, well, we have about seven minutes till we go to predictions. My goodness. So, Rick Smith, I'm looking at your notes here and uh, let's do a little look, a little more deep, deeper dive here on this. You say every major technology introduction follows two stages, not one. That's one point I'd like you to bring up. And or another one is there are two primary use cases for 3D printing that will drive broad adoption, which is a little different than what we were talking about with Gil. So, Rick, where would you like to go? Yeah, well, I could I could just re- reiterate the first point on the the um, you know the, the different um, the, the different stages uh, that really was, has been the focus of my new book um, called The Great Disruption, with the idea that if you can identify patterns that are reoccurring, um, that that can help you predict what is the future you know, actually going to look like. And as you see, you have seen this play out in multiple technologies, the shift from mass production to mass customization. Uh, it tends to be accompanied by shifts in the way that, that business is uh, business is conducted, uh, shifting from hierarchical type structures to network um, uh, type structures. Uh, and, and I think this is where th- this whole shift from uh, centralized manufacturing that's predominantly done in Asia um, is, is, is happening to distributed manufacturing where production is done, uh, you know, I think still in regional um, a sort of factory type locations but but in dozens and dozens of those or hundreds of those uh, you know around the world so uh, all of the sudden I have a need to produce a hundred spare parts um, that need to, but I need them in different places around the world rather than you know creating an order and waiting four months for them to come on a ship from Asia I can just send the digital files wherever they need to be uh, and have them produced on demand in multiple locations around the world. Thank you very much. Gil Perez, love to get your thoughts on what Rick just introduced. What do you think? I, I, I think that an interesting perspective of that is local manufacturing. And we all know that, you know, manufacturing and manufacturing and jobs has been, you know, a key driver to a lot of things globally and, and a lot of discussions around this. Um, um, and I, I, I truly believe that, 
you know, uh, manufacturing has been seen as, as something that needs to be centralized, that doesn't have to be, you know, has been outsourced out of the big cities. And I think with with this kind of change, uh, you're going to see a lot more uh, local manufacturing and a lot more of, uh, you know, inner city even manufacturing and potentially even um, a different set of individuals and people that will be attracted to manufacturing. And it's not going to be only certain types, but, you know, hopefully a lot of women, uh, uh, a lot of uh, youngsters that don't think of manufacturing as being sexy will, will kind of be attracted um, to manufacturing with these new technologies and capabilities. Very interesting. I like that. Uh, Alan Amling, let's briefly circle around the table to you. And what do you what do you think, agree or disagree with what Rick brought up and what Gil added, please? Yeah, you know, I just I just want to comment on on this this last part, because I think it's extremely important. Um, What we're seeing, especially in schools, is a renaissance in manufacturing. Um, you know, you go to a, to, a, to a high school student or a college student and talk about manufacturing, and, you know, you might get a yawn. You talk to them about being a maker, and all of a sudden it becomes pretty cool. And what mm-hmm. we're seeing is as, we're, as more and more schools are getting access to 3D printers and, and colleges, um, it's really generating a lot of interest, again, in making stuff. And I think that's a that's a, a great thing that uh, that we need to continue to promote. I agree. Thank you very much. Good perspective, Rick. A quick wrap up from you. Anything you want to add before I pick up one topic here from Gil? No, no, I guess the, the 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 main point I'd like to make is that this is all happening much faster than most people think. Um, we're, we're working with a number of companies that are looking to do uh, you know very large production. Um, using 3D printing, so you know, 200, 300,000 units a year, um, uh, where everything is, every single unit is customized. And as part of that evaluation, you know, we're we're looking at four different technologies for this one application, and all four of those technologies are not yet on the market, um, but they deliver really breakthrough outcomes, um, you know, for 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 products that can can come to the marketplace. So I think there's a lot of companies out there that would say, you know, hey, we've been looking at this. We're kind of waiting for the technology to get there. Um, I think behind the scenes or behind the curtain, the technology is actually a lot farther than you would than you would think. And for some specific applications, there are companies that are actually locking up partnerships with some of these new technologies that, that may, you know, create a first mover advantage that, that that doesn't give you access. So if there's ideas you're thinking about pursuing, it's, it, this is the time to, to really look into it. Thank you very much. And, Gil, uh, we are just about at the time for predictions, but I want to dive very quickly. I'm going to have you cover this, and then we'll go back to Alan to start the predictions mm-hmm. round. You say the world is moving more and more to a services-based economy and away from selling hard goods beyond simple 3D printing and distributed manufacturing. What we see as the next phase is a worldwide movement to a manufacturing as a service, M-A-A-S. Gil, can you just uh, take about a minute and a half to tell us about this, please? Yeah, sure. Um, and and in, in short, you know, we've seen um, setting up of a business and, you know, the digital presence become a service. So, 
you know, in a simplistic way, if I want to now open uh, a web shop and, and do some commerce, some e-commerce, you know, I can go to a website and within, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, half a day, set up a website and be up and running and, and have global access uh, and global exposure. Um, if you um, think of being able to... Um, to take now manufacturing as a service and having these what we call service bureaus around the world that have this manufacturing capacity, you can have somebody in Africa basically design a water bottle, uh, test it, uh, locally print it locally till it gets the, the right uh, you know design and the right output that he wants. And from that point on, he locks the design opens up a store, and then at that point, somebody in the U.S., somebody in China, somebody in the Middle East, somebody in, in Europe can basically order that bottle, water mm-hmm. bottle, and it will be created locally. And all of a sudden, you've got designed in, in Africa and uh, manufactured locally. And I think we're, we're going to see those kind of capabilities and those kind of, uh, of of opportunities for a lot of people to bring in, you know, their their creative design, their their capabilities, and as we move forward with that, and adding also IoT and smart devices and sensors, which are also getting smaller and more uh, readily available and and standardized. Um, that water bottle will also tell you if the water, if the coffee is hot and should you drink it or not, or is it just the right temperature, the optimal temperature to drink your Mountain Dew. Um, so, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of interesting things happening, and, you know, these capabilities will really unleash, in my opinion, uh, a revolution in, in, and a renaissance in manufacturing. Guild, you know what we just did? We just started the the uh, predictions part of the show. So you were first instead of third. And I really appreciate As I'm asking you the question, I'm saying, we're talking future here. So, Gil, your predictions part is done. Alan Amling, you're up next. 60 seconds. What do you see coming down the pike or whatever roadway you want to talk about for distributed manufacturing and 3D printing? Alan, predictions, go. Yep. Uh, so I, I, I love what Gil just said about uh, manufacturing as a service. I think... You know, if you look through the near term, let's say through 2020, um, right now we're in the midst of removing obstacles. So, you know, how do I protect IP? How do I make sure that I'm uh, testing and certifying these products to make sure they're as good or better than what we have today? Um, And because there are still barriers in the process that we're working through, it's very ad hoc. Um, By the time we get to 2020, which is just a few short years away, we're going to be clearly moving, uh, have moved from ad hoc to automatic. And now you're going to see 3D printing not as the special thing, but as something that is built into the business process of manufacturers around the world. Thank you very much. Now, that's very exciting, too. And, Rick Smith, I saved 60 seconds for you, so predictions, please. Uh, yeah, I've got a, a couple. I think in the next two years, you're going to see an explosion in new business models 
that are being brought to life for on-demand production. That could be, you know, things as simple as just reducing inventory uh, by producing it on-demand. Uh, but we're seeing a lot more creative applications for customization. Almost any company out there has some ideas um, that, that they can, that they want to um, that they want to bring to life. Um, the other thing that I, that I think you're going to see happen is um, significant investments in this area where we've gone through the experimentation phase where a lot of companies are experimenting now um, to the point where companies like GE are investing a billion and a half dollars in to specific initiatives. The CEO we're working with says they want to reduce physical inventory by 25% within five years in a shift to on-demand. Once those dollars at very high levels start flowing into these applications, you'll see the progression start to accelerate exponentially. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Alan Amling, Rick Smith, Gil Perez, great minds. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, your predictions, all of your good information about 3D printing and the world of distributed manufacturing. Shout out again to Dave Fowler. Dave, I hope you'll renew this series sometime next year because you get really good panelists and you create great topics. Shout out to Michael, our engineer at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here is my call to action. I don't know who's gonna you know i'd love to have a custom printed seatbelt for my car one of these days just thinking about that guys if you know somebody let me know however to go with the red quartz kitchen and the red espresso and the red hair and the red lipstick what can i say so here's our call to action everybody fasten your seatbelt what are you waiting for time is moving on go out and be a game changer today talk to you soon bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.